Hey everyone, welcome to the Business Alabama podcast from Business Alabama Magazine. I'm Alec Harvey, Executive Editor of Business Alabama Magazine, and my guest today is Dr. Ken Chapman, Industrial and Organizational Psychologist and founder of Ken Chapman at Associates, which is based in Tuscaloosa. On this episode, Dr. Chapman talks with me about his book, Safety Beyond the Numbers, all about workplace safety and workplace culture. Please join us as we talk to Dr. Ken Chapman on the Business Alabama podcast. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Chapman. Can we start by you telling me a little bit about yourself, how you got to where you are and, and what you do? Sure, Alec. I'm happy to do that, though I'm mindful of the uh, the fact that uh, m- most people aren't as interested in my background as they are in their own. So <laughs> I, I would uh, be- begin by just saying I, I did grow up in the Birmingham area quite a long time ago. Uh, went to a high school that uh, was located over there by the zoo, the old Shades Valley High School that was there forever and ever. It's moved out to the edge of town now. Uh, went to Emory University in Columbia and uh, ended up back in Alabama. And can you tell me a a bit about your company and and what it does? Uh, Yes. Uh, I started Ken Chapman and Associates about four decades ago, and we're an industrial psychology firm primarily involved in consulting uh, with corporations in areas of uh, organizational governance and leadership, management, behavior-based safety issues, and of course, team processes. And more recently, we've we've launched a new initiative related to the the book that we'll be talking about this morning. Well, that's a perfect segue. It's not your first book. I think it's maybe your sixth book. Is that what I read? Uh, It's uh, probably about right, though my wife says some of the books are better than others. (laughs) Well, tell me about this one. It's called Safety Beyond the Numbers. Can you talk about it and, and in particular, how it relates to business? Yes. Thanks, Alex. That, that's a great uh, question because I think it it goes quickly to the point of the book, and that is that most businesses invest a great deal of time and effort and put significant dollars toward building strong compliance programs, programs that comply with industry standards and OSHA, of course, and have good lockout, tagout, as well as safe work practices. They put a lot of time, a lot of man hours, a lot of dollars into these things. And then they discover that they get really good outcomes up to a point. And then things flatten out or may even begin to decline a little bit. And naturally, they ask the question, how could this be? How can we put in thousands of man hours? How can we spend millions of dollars and not get continuous improvement in this area? And our answer to that question is that frequently businesses do what seems logical because it can be measured. That is how many recordables someone their company has, or how many days away from work, uh, those kinds of things. But at the end of the day, there's a statistic that's often neglected that gives us an important cue. 
and that statistic is this. Nine out of ten incidents occur when a member of management is not around, which means that if employees are going to work safely in an industrial setting, they have to decide they're going to work safely. I can train them, I can invest lots of time and money, but if they don't own it, then they're liable to cut corners or take risk that cancel out all the money and effort. And, and does the book offer some suggestions on how to get them to own it? How to, Absolutely. How to uh, it, it recognizes that the company has to, to be candid and say, we're going to do everything we can do to create a safe work environment. We're going to guard machines. We're going to provide personal protective equipment. We're, we're going to meet and exceed OSHA and industry standards. We're going to be diligent about looking for new hazards. And then they say to the employee, but you've got to be our partner. <laughs> you've got to make good decisions with the information we provide. And you've got to be willing to decide to go home healthy and whole every day. And that's a decision that only you can make. I know you'd love for everybody in, in Alabama to pick up this book, but, but who in particular do you think should be reading this book and why? Well, it has benefits for everyone from a board of directors, a C-suite, uh, all the way down to frontline supervisors and team members. But the ideal audience would be the senior people in an organization. Mm -hmm. And the answer is, the reason is one that I suspect you and our listeners are familiar with, no organization rises above its leadership. If the leadership is not committed to a workplace where safety has a strong compliance element and employees are invited to take ownership, it won't happen. So Dr. Chapman, do you think it's possible to have a totally safe workplace? Is that something, I know people should strive for it, but do you think they can attain it? Yes, it is attainable. There are organizations that go a year, two years, three years, five years and more without a recordable. And they do that for because they have this robust compliance foundation that has sitting on top of it a strong ownership culture. So yes, it's quite possible. But, but let, let me offer one thought that I think is critical here. It's absolutely essential that a company communicate its determination to have zero incident rates. That it begins with the perspective, our target is zero. Uh, we worked with a client in Australia a few years ago who had a, a, a general manager who announced that there should be no more than a dozen recordables during any given year. Guess how many recordables there were? 12. <laughs> and, and the next year, there were 12. Uh, the, the people saw it as uh, a goal that they could easily meet, so why not meet it? And whether or not everything was reported, of course, is a question. But the point is that uh, they met expectations. The boss said 12, 
12 and die. Um, so what is your hope for impact for this book on, on readers and their co-workers in the months and years ahead? Our hope is that organizations, their leadership will recognize that when they work hard to establish a robust compliance program, they're doing the right thing. But they should not stop there. They should also develop a culture that is an ownership culture, where people take personal ownership for going home to their families, which is the number one reason they're at work to start with. There are obviously other books out there that that either touch upon or about workplace safety. Um, What do you say makes your book different when people ask you? If people ask you, I'm asking you. Sure, sure. Uh, It's a great question because sitting on a bookshelf, it may look like all the other books that have to do with safety in the workplace. But the, the big difference is that we don't double down on compliance. We give compliance its due. Compliance is absolutely essential. That's the foundation you begin with. It should be developed and maintained. But what separates our perspective is if you stop there, you'll never get the best possible safety outcomes. You've got to bring the employee in as a partner for their own safety. Dr. Chapman, you didn't write this book alone. Your co-author is Tony Orlowski, who is uh, a vice president at McWain. Can you tell me how your perspectives are different and how they came together for this book? Great question. Uh, Tony and I met several years ago. He had uh, spent his career as a consulting engineer then as a frontline supervisor in heavy industry, a manager, then a general manager, and currently is an executive vice president. He knows these settings firsthand. I've consulted in these settings for nearly four decades. And as we began to talk, we we both realized that we shared a similar perspective and a similar conviction about what the answer to those concerns were. So Tony has been a fantastic co-author and partner in this process in that he knows the practical applications of these principles, not just the theoretical or consultative part that I bring. Simply put, he brings real-world leadership experience in organizations. He's done it, and I bring the behavioral science side of it. It's a good combination. It's worked well. I, uh, I would say that Tony and I both uh, enjoyed the effort and have, uh, have found it very gratifying to, to see as we've written uh, and shared our ideas, put them on paper that uh, they've been well received so far. And there are a lot of, uh, folks we've talked to who have already read the book and their response is, yeah, that, that, that's, that's it. Uh, I, I, I get it. <laughs> uh, we worked hard at compliance and we keep doubling down, but we got to bring the employee into this. So I understand you recently had a seminar uh, where you used the book. Can you tell me about that and how it went? Uh, 
yes, uh, we limit participants to 24 because we want to have strong engagement with the executives, managers, and health and safety professionals who come. And the first one went well. It exceeded our expectations. The feedback we've gotten has been very positive. We're, we will have the, the next seminar in Atlanta sometime in February and then at other places around the country. Expect to come back to Birmingham for a seminar in the spring. But it, it went well because once again, it was, uh, it was clear to many folks who came that this is what we've been searching for. This is the answer we didn't know was out there. Who, who will be the target audience for these seminars? Top to bottom, C-suite to, to yeah, new workers? Ideally, C-suite and, and senior managers, and that those would be the ideal audience. And hopefully, hopefully they will see the, the, the value of placing an ownership culture on top of their good, strong, robust compliance foundation. Um, what is some advice you end up providing to, to team members, supervisors, managers, executives, most often in heavy industry settings? Well, let, let, let's start with uh, leadership. If a executive, a, a GM, supervisor, if, if they want an ownership culture, they've got to flip the paradigm. And when I say flip the paradigm, this is what I mean. Most leaders, either consciously or unconsciously, I would argue it's largely unconscious, but they look at the people who report to them and they're thinking, these people are here to make me successful. And flipping the paradigm to create an ownership culture means this. I change that. I work out of the perspective that I, the manager, I'm here to make the people who report to me successful. And it is in their success that I find the company's success and my success. Now, where this ties into an ownership culture can be stated fairly succinctly. Here's what it means. My job is to lead employees to lead themselves to safe outcomes. Sounds easy when you say it. It does. Uh, uh, it does. But it's, uh, it, 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 Alec, it, it goes to uh, something I've heard uh, for four decades now that uh, what are called soft skills, which uh, it always sounds like an odd phrase to me. But after four decades, it sounds like a ridiculous phrase because what are often called soft skills are the most difficult to learn and practice. Uh, calibrating a machine is relatively easy. Repairing uh, a boiler is relatively easy compared to the art of interacting with other people in a way consistently that gains their cooperation and goodwill. So do you also have advice for team members and employees who are, who are working for these leaders? We do, and it's advice that's beneficial to, to them, to the organization, and to their lives in general. 
a, a long time ago, uh, a guy named Edward Deming, who was the considered the father of modern process improvement. Edward Deming would often give employees this advice, get a job, work hard, make good decisions, keep the job. Now, in our book, we reframe that just a little bit, and the advice and perspective that we use in guiding employee performance is make a meaningful contribution, give good effort, make sure that they are the right efforts, and maintain your capacity to contribute. And if an employee will do that, notice that last one, maintain your capacity to contribute. You see, when someone gets hurt in the workplace, there's a cost factor, workers' comp, there may even be litigation. And certainly the company uh, experiences some difficulty on some level. But no one is hurt more by that incident than the employee themselves. Because most employees, for most employees, their greatest financial asset is their capacity to get up and go to work every day. So we tie that to the reason they're there. You want to behave safely, not just for the company's reasons. You want to behave safely, most of all, for your reasons, for the people who are waiting back home for you at the end of the day. Uh, Right now, I'd like to switch gears a little bit to a section of questions that I call business casual. Your answers can be business oriented, personal preferences, or a mixture of both. Um, Do you listen to podcasts? Can you tell me what you're listening to these days? Well, well, uh, uh, Derek Brown has introduced me to a podcast. And of course, as as you know, uh, uh, our firm has a podcast, Brain Chatter, which uh, Derek moderates. But beyond that, uh, I, I, of course, like uh, the, the podcast that, that you do. I certainly like the podcast. I think it's called Rationally Speaking. And uh, I, I've enjoyed quite a few episodes of, uh, I think it's called Bad Bets, uh, the Wall Street Journal. Mm-hmm. So, yes, uh, I've, I've listened to some podcasts. It turns out that in our business, you can have a good bit of windshield time. What is the last book you read? Do you have time to read when you're writing so many books? <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, uh, actually, reading helps the writing process. Uh, I found that the uh, the more I read, the more easily I write. Uh, that's something my uh, 10th grade English teacher told me, and it seemed like not so good advice then, but seems like great advice as the years have passed. But uh, I think one of the most fascinating books I've read recently, I read a lot of philosophy, a lot of biographies about people in leadership roles. But one of the most fascinating books I've read recently is is called The Fellowship, also known by some people as The Inklings. It's a rather long book about the relationship between C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien and several other folks who uh, taught and wrote while they were at Oxford University back in the 20s, 30s, 40s, and 50s. Are you a binger, Dr. Chapman? Can you tell me any TV series you're binging? Uh, 
That, that would be a little difficult to do since uh, I'm not sure if it's because there are so many choices or disinterest, but it's, it's hard to settle in to do that. But I, I did recently watch a number of series of a, a show called Heartland, which uh, I found rather pleasant uh, in the sense that it took me back to uh, shows uh, like Highway to Heaven and uh, Little House on the Prairie and uh, yeah. just no violence, uh, no uh, gratuitous events, just uh, a nice storyline and nice people. And how do you tend to unwind? What's a perfect non-work day for you? Well, I like to hike and, and I do like to play golf. Uh, I've uh, hiked uh, a little over 800 miles of the Appalachian Trail. I would like to think that uh, I can check that off my bucket list uh, before uh, over time, but, uh, uh, and, and I also enjoy golf. But I, I, uh, at this time of year, I can get a great deal of rejuvenation from just taking a long walk with my dog. I know you're you're in the business basically of giving advice, but what's the best piece of advice you were ever given? That's pretty easy. I think the best bit of advice I was ever given was by my maternal grandmother who told me life is a journey. Uh, it's not a single event. Uh, maintain perspective. Well, this single event is coming to an end, but I'd like to end it uh, winding back to your job. Can you just tell me what you consider the best part of your job, your most favorite part of the job? It's the impact on people. It's the opportunity to help them live lives of meaning and purpose. I think that any good business is going to provide people with that opportunity. I'll give you a clean reference point. Uh, I work from the perspective that all human beings have three basic needs, the need to be valued, the need to make sense out of things, and the need to have some sense of purpose. And organizations can develop great ownership cultures by working from those three perspectives. For example, everyone wants to be valued, so treat everyone with dignity and respect. Everyone wants to be able to make sense out of things, so make sure they have clear expectations to perform their job. And then everybody wants a sense of purpose, which if you help an employee develop pride of workmanship and pride of association, they, uh, they get uh, two great benefits. They get the sense of personal satisfaction and self-respect that comes from working providing for themselves and their families and doing something that contributes to the good of society. And the other great benefit they get is that they get to buy for their families over time what they would never be able to buy otherwise. A home, a truck, a boat, a vacation, a trip to Europe, maybe a college education. It's very satisfying to see that awareness grow in individuals in and out of companies. Well, Dr. Chapman, I can't thank you enough for joining me on the Business Alabama podcast today. Well, thank you very much for inviting me, Alec. Uh, I've enjoyed talking with you. You've asked some great questions, 
and uh, hopefully it'll be of some benefit to those who listen. My thanks to Dr. Ken Chapman, founder of Ken Chapman and Associates, and to you, the listener, for joining me today on the Business Alabama podcast. Until next time, this is Alec Harvey. Find more from Business Alabama in our monthly magazine and online at businessalabama.com.